0: turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. We're going to be in chapters 2 and 3 today. 1 Thessalonians chapters 2 and we're going to end chapter 3 today. We're in a series on the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in a city called Thessalonica. And what we're really doing is it's really this church that got this letter from the Apostle Paul. It's it uh, probably wasn 't on a white sheet of paper like this, but they were reading it, and what we 're doing is really looking over their shoulders and reading this letter as they uh, take a look at this. We begin our series with um, a few weeks ago with Pastor John bringing us the introduction and the background of this this letter, and he talked about the power of the good news, the power of the good news of Jesus Christ and the gospel, and then Last week, I followed up with a message on the power of a life well-lived and the models that all of us are. And today, we're going to talk about what is the result of when we live our life with the power of the good news and we live our life as a model um, of that power of the good news. What happens? And what happens is persecution and hardship start to come involved. And so today, let me read you this. This text from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we'll start in verse 17 and finish chapter 3. Verse 17, but brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul did, again and again, but Satan stopped us. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you, and our efforts might have been useless. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly, that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. This text is is pretty straightforward, it's it's clear. And so today I'm I'm really gonna I wanna let the scripture speak for itself. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try to get out of the way of of all of that and let the scripture speak for itself. So, what we're going to do is, we're going to start with um, taking a look at this text and dividing it into three sections. And really, this section of scripture is how the Apostle Paul communicates something very emotional. You can tell as we're reading this passage, it's something emotional and it's tender, and it's a church that he obviously loves. And so let's take a look at this from from this side. We're going to call this Paul's tender words to his beloved church. And the the first section is all about his concern. And so the Apostle Paul's concern for this church. Paul shares about his attempts to return to the church and for his deep feelings for him. And so in verses 17 and 18, we read that Paul's making every effort to, to see them and He's making multiple attempts to go back to them. He's, he's in, in Athens, and he's far away from them, but he says this curious phrase here in verse 18. He says, Satan stopped us. So, so what's, what's that about, right? I mean, when he says Satan stopped us, what, the, what would that be? Well, in this letter, there are no other clues to what he means by Satan stopped us, and so we can guess that maybe there was a legal complication where he couldn't leave Athens and, and go to Thessalonica. Or maybe there was a physical ailment he had. He writes in other letters to churches that he had this thorn in his flesh or thorn in his side. So, so uh, he couldn't go perhaps because it was a physical ailment. And then in verses 19 and 20, he, he writes this. He writes, For what is our hope, our joy, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you, he says, are our glory and joy. And this is the reason why Paul longed to see the Thessalonians again. And to him, they represented the fruit of his ministry and the evidence of this God-given ministry. When he thought about them, he thought, this is a successful church that I helped start. He wanted to see the spiritual transformation in their lives how they have grown in the Lord. He, he longed to see this. He, he saw this as a sign of God's successful work. It's sort of like us here at Nova Community. I mean, there's people sitting around you. The, the people sitting around you, maybe they're friends, maybe it's family, maybe it's your spouse or your, your brother or your sister. And is it not wonderful? Isn't it a wonderful thing to sit next to someone or stand next to someone and joyfully worship God together as friends and as family. Isn't it wonderful to worship and to serve together? It, I know there must be such, such joy, such satisfaction when, when someone gets baptized and you taught them or you held them as a baby. And you taught them in in children's church. Or maybe you were a youth leader as they were growing up. And and now they're they're standing up and they're saying, this is how I came to know Jesus Christ before their baptism. This is my favorite scripture. And as they go down into the waters of baptism, and they come up inside your heart, there's a cheer that rings out because you are saying, this is all worth it. All the... Saturday nights, Saturday afternoons and nights that I prepared those crafts for that children's class and and, and my study for that teaching and that object lesson that I put together and, and I taught, it's all worth it now. This is what Paul's experiencing right here. Isn't it wonderful that you know in our in our small group ministry, as as we we, we just had one Session one quarter of small groups, and already in this session we have multiplied. We have three new small groups, and this leadership has come out of the small groups. And isn't it wonderful that you're in your small group, and they're growing, and people are getting to know one another, and you recognize that someone is rising up to say, "I'm going to lead a small, a new small group next next session." Isn't it, can't we glory in those sorts of things? That's what Paul's doing. He's saying. To the church at Thessalonica, you're our hope, you're our glory, you're our crown, and you're our joy that God is growing in us because I see you successful in your ministry. This is all of Paul's concern. The second section that we could see here it's, is it's all about his action, not just his concern, but his action now. Beginning in chapter 3, three, we read about the action that Paul took because of the, his concern for the church. Now, he, couldn't, he tried multiple times to go and visit them, but he couldn't. So then we read in, in verse 2 of chapter 3, We sent Timothy, who was our brother and God's fellow worker, in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. He said, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well, he writes, that you were destined for them, just like we told you from the beginning. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. And so they sent Timothy. And because of these intense emotions Paul felt for the Thessalonians, he was more than a little anxious about their hardships and their troubles. Paul was forced to leave this band of new converts alone without much leadership when he He had to leave to go to Athens. And Paul's greatest concern was this persecution, this opposition for the church was going to overwhelm them. And so he couldn't himself return, so he sent Timothy. And Timothy's job was to, we read this in verse 2, to strengthen and encourage them in their faith. So the first section of of this passage is Paul's concern. The second thing, the second section is his action. And the third is simply all about his joy, his joy. And in, in verses 6 through 10, we read of Paul's relief and joy as Timothy returns with a good report with how the church is doing. And so let me read this, this whole section, these four verses, verses 6 through 10. And I, I want you to kind of hear, as I'm reading this, you can almost sense an audible sigh of relief that Paul has because of his concern and then his action of sending Timothy. Timothy comes and big, brings a, a good report. Verse 6, but Timothy has... Just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now, we really live. Since you are standing firm in the Lord, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. And it appears that Timothy found the church not only persevering in their faith in the midst of persecution, but they were growing in their love around them. How hard that would be to have census opposition, this persecution, and still not just be there to defend yourself, but then, even more, we read here that they were reaching out in love for one another. The first major theme of this passage is about Paul's tender concern for the Thessalonians. Now, the second theme here is all about troubles and trial and hardships that the church is enduring here. And it's important to keep in mind that the suffering that they are referring to, or Paul is referring to, is not sort of a godly discipline, but it's opposition, it's persecution, coming from conflict of beliefs and values and conduct between the Christ follower and the surrounding culture. Now, for us, I wonder, let's bring it down to our American culture. And I'm not sure if we, on a day-to-day, week-to-week, even month-to-month, or even over a long stretch of time in our American culture, our South Bay culture, that we experience much persecution, but it happens all over the world. And this persecution and this opposition is variable in different countries, in different cultures, and in different contexts. I want to show you, just so that we get a wider view today, that so that we're, I mean, as I look out, it, it's a beautiful day today. I mean, it is a classic spring day here in Southern California. And it's so good to be here. And no one is concerned that we're gathering for worship. There are, the Torrance PD is not around making sure that we don't say the word Jesus. And so we have it so good here. We're so blessed. But it's not that way across the world. I want you to, to, to meet a man in another country in a whole different context. And I want you to hear his story. I'm going to show you a video right now of a man experiencing this persecution that we are free from here. Take a look at this.
1: In China, there is such darkness. But even in the midst of this darkness, we are experiencing God's victory. I became a believer ten years ago. I heard about Christ when I was on a business trip. After that, my entire family came to Christ. But we are not free to share our faith with others. If you are spreading the gospel, Chinese government treats you as a criminal. They want to control the number of Christians. They want to control what God is doing. I hear from time to time of brothers and sisters being persecuted and arrested. Last week, a good friend of mine was taken by the Chinese police. He was questioned and then beaten so bad that he almost died. All because of spreading the gospel. In the city, everywhere you look, there are apartments. Since we can't meet in public, Our ministry takes place in the buildings we live in. In the evenings, brothers and sisters in Christ gather together in homes. This is our church. If you ask people on the street, most have never heard of Christ or read the Bible, no one in their family is a believer. The dangers here are driven by darkness, and that darkness can be quite fearful, especially when I think of my family. But God never fears, and he will overcome. So I want to go and share, despite being at risk. I minister to the neighbors that live next door or upstairs, I visit them often. I listen, and I share in their life. When I get the chance, I tell the story of Jesus Christ, and we pray. And the Holy Spirit works. Every week, we see new people come to Christ. Only two weeks ago, an amazing thing happened we discovered there was another home church meeting at the top of this very same building. In our own building, God had brought up another fellowship. That really humbled us. In the midst of all the darkness, all the persecution, the Holy Spirit is moving. It continues to prepare the hearts of people in China. Every day I have the opportunity to share the love of Jesus Christ. Even if it means I could go to prison. For who can have victory over God? Nobody. No matter what country.
0: It's hard to even think that that would be our context here in America, but it's happening all over the world with even some of our missions partners. As you read their names in the worship folder week to week, there are some whose names, real names, we can't print there, and so we print their aliases there. Countries like Indonesia, ministering to Muslims in France and in the Middle East, And so I think a question as we consider all this is is what good can come out of persecution anyways? I mean, why would God allow something like this to happen? If he wants to get the good news, if he wants us to use us to get the good news of Jesus Christ out, why is this happening? Why isn't it just more easy to do this? What good can come out of persecution? And so, I want to take up a brief discussion on this perspective in our own cultural context. Um, For greater insight, if you've been in the 11 o'clock hour class uh, that Andrew and Jenna are teaching on Jesus and the American Dream, you're getting some of that. And, you know, I've been around long enough to see some of the transformation in our own American culture here in the South Bay, in which traditional Christian ethical values. Are not only have not only become ignored, but they're explicitly rejected these days. And if we're serious about obeying Jesus, we can expect to find ourselves experiencing opposition and experiencing hostility and exclusion and loss in what Paul calls trouble and trials and hardship. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, said, If we refuse to take up our cross and submit to suffering with rejection at the hands of men, we forfeit our fellowship with Christ and have ceased to follow him. But if we lose our lives in his service and carry our cross, we shall find our our lives again in the fellowship of the cross with Christ. To bear the cross proves to be the only way of triumphing over suffering. This is true for all who follow Christ because it was true for him. Those are hard words for us to hear and hard words for us as Americans to even consider. And so what good can come out of persecution? Well, the first is this. First is persecution is evidence of God's love and salvation. Persecution is evidence of God's love and salvation. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, it says, "...you became imitators of us and the Lord in spite of severe suffering." You welcomed the message with joy given in the Holy Spirit, and so you became a model to all believers. And the Thessalonians were this model of joy in the midst of suffering, and they were in reality the model of Christ, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 17, it says, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory, the sufferings in his glory. And when you experience the pain, your own personal pain of being mocked or judged unfairly or ridiculed for your faith or gossiped about or slandered about, you're, you're able to see, to, to be, experience a sharing of the suffering of Jesus Christ, and therefore you're able to share in his glory. And so persecution is first an evidence of God's love in salvation, Number two is this. This is the second good that can come out of persecution. Per- persecution strengthens our endurance and hope. When we get persecuted, it strengthens us. Um, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, it says, We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches... We boast about your perseverance and faith in all of the persecutions and trials you are enduring. There's a, a sense of, of um, endurance and hope, and, and uh, uh, it strengthens us when, when we get persecuted. In Romans chapter 5, we read, But we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces Perseverance and produce perseverance character and character hope. And that hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. When you experience the suffering and persecution, you are growing and you're getting stronger because the Holy Spirit is transforming you and bringing endurance and strengthening you. And 1 Thessalonians chapters 4 and 5, what we're going to tackle in the next few weeks, um, Paul reminds the Thessalonians of a greater hope, a a hope of, 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 uh, of, of heaven, and we're going to talk about those things in the next few weeks. And so what good can come out of persecution? First is it's evidence of God's love and salvation. Second, it strengthens our endurance and hope. And the last is this, persecution becomes a witness to others of the truth of Christ persecution can become a witness to others of the truth of Christ. This is especially true when you're able to demonstrate love even in the midst of persecution. In 2 Thessalonians chapter uh, 1 verse 5, it says, All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. See, we don't seek or we don't provoke persecution we don't sort of taunt somebody and say, hey, "Go ahead, persecute me. you know we don't seek that sort of a thing, but it is nonetheless something worth enduring for christ's sake when we experience persecution. So let me just end this with with something I, I think is interesting because some of you are looking at me like, persecution I, I've, never, I've I've never experienced that, and so let me just. Let me just throw this out out there. If you're not experiencing persecution or hardship that Paul assumes will be the experience of every Christ follower sometime in their life, I mean, mean, sometime in your life, if you follow Jesus Christ, you're going to experience some measure of persecution, and it doesn't matter where you live. If you're not experiencing persecution, you need to ask yourself, uh, Start with these three questions. Now, these three questions are on the back of your notes. They're part of the small group homework. They're under living out at the very bottom. And so if you're trying to feverishly write these down, thank you for that. But uh, they're already written down for you there. The first is this. If you're not experiencing persecution, ask yourself, am I isolating myself in a Christian subculture of some sort? Now, what I mean by that is this, because you're wondering, what is he talking about there? Am I isolating myself in some sort of Christian, so- meaning, are all of my activities in my social life wrapped up with Christians or the church? Because if you're doing that, perhaps you're isolating yourself from the, the world out there of people who don't believe. And so when you do that, then you're saving yourself, perhaps, from any suffering or opposition or persecution, we call this living in a Christian ghetto, is what this is called, okay? It's, it's a subculture that you're living in, and, and anytime you need something fixed at your house, you pull out your Christian business directory, right, because you want a Christian plumber to come over, or you only get gas at that Christian gas station. Is there one? I'm sure if you're, if you're living like that, you know where they're at, Right? You only shop at Christian stores, or you only order online, right? And so you don't have to get out of your cocoon that you formed for yourself to protect yourself from this sort of a thing. Ask yourself that question. Second question is this. If you're not experiencing persecution, am I not serious about my commitment to the gospel and its values? Does anyone at your work know that you're a Christian? Or do you just stay silent? And you're just that nice person in that nice little cubicle there. Does anyone know, outside of this church context or outside of your Christian friends context, that you're a Christian? Third question is, perhaps you're just a beneficiary of fortunate circumstances in your life, but... I think that that will be short-lived for a time. And we go into seasons sometimes that we do suffer for our faith. Last thing I just want to share with you is this. That God knew that his followers would inevitably experience persecution and hardship and suffering. He knew. And so he gave us the Holy Spirit to reside in us, to help us, to empower us, and to comfort us and strengthen us during times of suffering and persecution. But the second thing he gave us, something very important, is he gave us the church. He gave us Nova Community Church to encourage each other, to to love one another. And when I experience opposition and persecution, in very small ways, mind you, here, but when I experience that, I revel in the fact that we get to come here on a Sunday at 930 30 and worship and just, just sing our guts out, right? We just, we just let it all hang out. I, I, I revel in the fact that, that we, we pray together openly. We, we, we pray for one another, that we can have something like dinners for eight and we can meet and just enjoy the company of friends around good food in a, in a, in a home with hospitality. That we can play softball and, and not be ashamed at all. And where are at, well, some of you will be ashamed, I think, playing softball. But anyways, um, some of us, I should say. And we're a Nova Community Church softball team shirt. We could sing and serve together. We can, we, we give, we don't have to give in secrets. We can give cheerfully, hilariously we can give like that. We can have plaza time and not be concerned that someone's going to spray us with machine gun fire. We smile and we laugh and we worship because God is good and we are together. And in the end, we know that Jesus wins. That in spite of persecution and suffering and hardship that perhaps some of you are experiencing right now, we know that in the end, Jesus wins. Amen? Amen. Let's stand for the benediction. The last few verses of chapter 3 is our benediction for today. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father, when our Lord Jesus comes with all of his holy ones. In the name of God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, to him be glory both now and forevermore. Amen.